It's uh, great to be together this morning. It's uh, been a great service so far. And I want to welcome everyone again uh, to the Westside uh, Church. And uh, we are part of, uh, as Alice mentioned, that we are part of a worldwide uh, church uh, family uh, all around the world. And I want to welcome a, a special sister from Sydney, Australia, and that's a Hannah Barnum. Hannah, if you're here, can you stand on up? She probably went to the restroom. Uh, she'll be right back. <laughs> and I think her mom is here, too. But uh, I do want to welcome another uh, couple. And uh, these guys uh, were, became Christians overseas and uh, came back, and they're worshiping with us today. And that's uh, Son and Tanya Tran. Let me get you guys to stand on up. There they are. <laughs> All right, great. Where's, uh, where's Son? Oh, okay. Uh, but, um, man, I'm like 0 for 2 already to start off my sermon. All right. So, um, March is going to be a really uh, exciting time for us as we close out our series, Unlimited. Um, in March, uh, we have a brother, a Vietnamese brother. Uh, he leads the church in Ho Chi Minh City. And uh, he's going to be coming and will be preaching to us uh, in uh, mid-March. And then uh, in March... In the spirit of March Madness, uh, we want to inculcate a spirit of competition amongst the brothers and sisters is that we're going to be uh, having, after church, uh, we're going to be playing basketball together. And uh, I figure it'd be good to keep those competitive juices, you know, uh, ingrown to each one of the ministries. It'd be the teens against the family ministry, against the singles, and then the campus as well, Okay. So I've asked uh, Jason Williams to be the commish uh, on that. So Jason's going to be coming up with different schemes and stuff. And it's going to be co-ed, all right? So we're not sure uh, how to do it yet, but uh, we're probably going to have uh, two, two girls at any time on the court. One or two depends on how many people uh, want to play, okay? So that's going to be March Madness in March. And then uh, what else? Uh, next, but... Uh, but not the least for sure is that uh, I know that the Goldbergs are incredibly uh, just evangelistic. Just uh, every, if you go out with Jack, he'll share his faith anywhere and Bridget uh, as well. And uh, as they leave our sector uh, to the Lifeway, Mariana, their neighbor, is going to get baptized tomorrow night. And Mariana, can you stand on up? And uh, Mariana, they're, they're neighbors, and uh, that's going to be tomorrow night at our place at 7 o'clock. I want to close out uh, February a little bit. Last week we had a great Valentine's um, dinner with uh, some of the marrieds, and I want to thank these following people because they really made it special. And all those that came and made your plans to come uh, to make that night very special, I want to thank uh, David and Patrice Jackson. Uh, they did a great job. Uh, last week, if you went in there, you, you would have not recognized the Rotunda Room. And then uh, Karen Shaw did a great job with uh, setting things up as well. And then the Funes, the Ui Tinkles, I want to thank them. And last but not least, I want to thank uh, Liliana Zindler. I appreciate Liliana. Liliana uh, was part of our church uh, was only recently. And although they already celebrated their anniversary the day before, she came and, and helped out uh, with the decorations. So... Super appreciate everyone involved uh, in that. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, something that's really unpopular. And the topic is, uh, 
in conjunction with our theme for the month, Unlimited, uh, we talked about God's grace, we've talked about God's compassion, uh, but today we're going to talk about God's anger. Okay. Yes, it's a, it's a tough, tough topic, because I know that anger is probably, of all the emotions that God has given us, that's probably the most explosive and has the potential to be really the most destructive as well. And, uh, you know, Lena and I, we have three daughters. I'm the only male in my house. And sometimes I do wish that there was another boy running around so that my girls can just get an understanding that that's how boys are. Men are, you know. But they have no comparison. And I told Lena the other day that sometimes I walk around the house and I feel a little bit like Godzilla. Like, you know, just, but I'm just a man. That's just the way I am. That's the way that God built me. So sometimes I do wish I have a little boy. But uh, over the years, I've made plenty of mistakes as, as a father. Um, I know that Elizabeth's the firstborn. Uh, there have been times when my anger has been really hurtful and not commensurate with anything that she's done at all. And, uh, and been very, very destructive and very harmful to Elizabeth and to the family. I, I choose Elizabeth because she's the firstborn, and that's where you make all the mistakes. I think Nicole got a little bit easier. Gabby's got it good. I tell you, man, that kid, oh, man, that kid, oh, that kid rules the house. Um, but with Elizabeth, she's turned out great. But there have been times I wonder, I wonder if my sins has really hurt her. I'm still expecting Elizabeth to come home one day with a big old tattoo in her arm, you know, with the word dad crossed out, you know, like, like it's crossed out. And I uh, still... So, don't do that, honey, but uh, I understand. Um, I understand if you feel the urge to do that. But, uh, but anger is really something that we don't even like in our own family, obviously, right, in ourselves. But we, we wrestle with that concept with God. You know, is God, does God get angry? And the answer is, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And uh, is anger wrong? I think in itself... Any emotion that God gives us is not necessarily wrong. It's what we do with it that is, um, that is sinful or wrong. But God gives us that emotion. And it is, I think we have to learn how to figure that out as we see how God handles his anger as well. This is an Old Testament, uh, 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 King James, uh, Ephesians 5. I love this version, so I chose it. It says, Be ye angry and not sin." Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I know the scripture might be a little bit shocking to us, right? The Bible actually says, be angry. And I love this verse, says, be angry. It's almost like the, like the Easter Island, you know, that little thing says, be angry. You know, it's like, it's like that. It's like, be angry, but don't sin. Okay, that's, that's the trick. Well, should we be angry? Yes, we should. Yes, we should. There are... There are plenty of things around the world that should make us angry. And as a matter of fact, if we don't, if we don't get angry about those things, actually, that's a sin. I, I think that, you know, when we look at the injustice of the world, it should incur in us some form of response and action subsequently. He says, be angry, but don't sin. You know, we look, uh, this is Black History Month, and I read a joke the other day, it says, yeah, Black History Month. It's the shortest month of the year. Anyways, but it's okay. 
It's a, it's, it's a month, nonetheless. You know, Frederick Douglass, during that time, there were a lot of feelings pre-Civil War about the Civil Rights Movement. It wasn't even a Civil Rights Movement. It was the abolitionist movement at that time. And Frederick Douglass was a big figure at that time, and he wrote this. He says, where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. Those are some strong words. He's saying, listen, if we live under that kind of system, that kind of society, it is expected of people to rise up and to, to act. And he says, basically he's saying to, to, to use violence to, to get the, the ends. Martin Luther King Jr. He says, 300 years of humiliation, abuse, and deprivation cannot be expected to find voice in a whisper somewhere in the corner. It says it needs to be exposed. And we need to have an anger and a reaction to it. These are men that change the course of American history, but really worldwide as well. You know, and this is just a picture I found of just the... And this is, you know, I'm not talking about 1800s. I'm talking about recent pictures of the, the sins of, of prejudice and bigotry. We should be angry. It should motivate us to do something. And to not do something, the Bible says, it is wrong. The sin of omission. Ho Chi Minh. This is during the 40s when the French was, you know, they were the, the, this little tiny Asian nation. You know, uh, we celebrate Chinese New Year, Vietnamese New Year as well. And I appreciate Billy I've shown those pictures. And it's a real bummer when you have this great feast and you don't even remember it. It's really bad. He says, you can kill ten of my men for every one I kill of yours. But even in those odds, you will lose and I will win. This is what the Americans were up against when the Americans decided to go into Vietnam. This kind of resolve, this kind of internal fortitude to protect their country. They said, listen, you kill ten of my guys for that ratio, and I just get one of your guys? In due time, we will still win, and you're going to be driven out. And I think we should have listened to this one before we went into Vietnam. Malcolm X, he says, a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. Isn't that profound? It's like if we don't have anything inside, if we don't have any conviction, we're going to be really lured and swayed by anything, anything that's out there. 1968, these two men on the U.S. Olympic team, one one was the gold medal and the other one was a uh, bronze medal. And that was Tommy Smith, the gold, and John Carlos, the, uh, the bronze. And... To the left is just a white dude. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> that happened to win the, uh, the silver medalist. I'm just kidding. He, he actually wore that badge on his shoulder as well. And these two men stood up in something that's still being condemned in the Olympic um, uh, society for a long, long time after 1968. They raised their fists in defiance 
of, of just the treatment that uh, the civil rights movement uh, was, um, was, was, was facing and attacking. And really, they, they said afterwards that it wasn't, it wasn't anything disrespectful. The, the emblem that they wore is OPHR, which means the Olympic Project, not only for African-American rights, but for human rights around the world. So the silver medalist, I, don't, I forgot what country he's from, he wore that badge also, standing in, in unison with uh, these two men. You know, Uncle Tom's Cabin, one of the seminal books in American history, written by Harriet uh, Beecher Stowe, was a runaway bestseller. It actually sold more in, in, in overseas in England than, um, than I think even here in the U.S., but it was a runaway seller, uh, international bestseller at that time. The Queen of England wanted to meet uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe when she was there, but because of it was politically incorrect, uh, she respected her so much that she made arrangements that their carriage would pass each other without meeting, but they exchanged glances of her courage to speak to that issue of, of the, uh, just the injustice that she saw. Uncle Tom's Cabin was a runaway bestseller, selling 10,000 copies in the U.S. in his first week, 300 in his first year, and in Great Britain, 1.5 million copy, copies in one year. It resonates uh, with an international audience as the protest novel and a literary work. Harriet Beecher Stowe, best-known novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin in 1852, changed forever how Americans view slavery. She used the media. Slavery. This is the system that treated people as property. It demanded that the United States deliver on its promise of freedom and equality, galvanized the abolition uh, movement, and contributed to the outbreak of the Civil War. As a matter of fact, there's a, and it's not confirmed, but uh, there's a myth that uh, when Abraham Lincoln met uh, Stowe, uh, he said that, uh, so, you're the little lady that started this whole war. It was because of her writing, her ideas, that spurred the hearts of men and women, uh, not only in the North, but really in the South um, as well. So what's my point in all this? My point is that, man, we need to get angry about stuff, stuff sometimes. We need, we need to be angry at, at the right things, at the right time, at the right place at the right measure. And that's who God is. He is angry when he looks in the world. How can he not be at, at the injustice? You know, when he sees our lives, how can he not be? But how does God respond? You know, MLK says that uh, we did not hesitate to call our movement an army. But it was a special army with no supplies, but its sincerity, no uniform but its determination. No arsenal except its faith. No currency, but its conscience. Its conscience. You know, we're so wimpy in L.A. We are. This is New York. This is recently. The roads. Look at the roads. Again, it's impassable, right? We got little sprinkles today, right? It's like, woo. It's like, woo, bad. Covering things up. <laughs> Beware! <laughs> Little drops of water. Oh my gosh! This is this is New York. This is like recently, New York, recently. And this is the forecast set in California recently as well. 
at it. I mean, it's, it's comical. Don't you think? It's all sun. It's seven-day forecast. They might as well change the day to year. It's like a seven-year forecast or seven-decade forecast. I mean, they have nothing to do. It's all sunny, so they try to make it little changes. You see it? It's like uh, sun and warm, partly cloudy. It's just a little bit. It's like a little cloud. And look, look, look on Sunday. You know, Sunday, New Year's Day. They put a little New Year's Day down there. It's just the warmest day. It's only one degree higher than the 72. <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, 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 we live in a nice place, guys. And we don't have a lot of opportunity to be angry. And we, it can afford us a complacency that's going to kill our souls. It's a complacency that's going to kill our souls. The media's most powerful entity on earth is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make an innocent man guilty and to make the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. Do I agree with everything that Malcolm X says? But you know, if you look at the history of Malcolm X, he changed as well. But he saw some things that he understood. He was, in a, in a lot of ways, he was before his time. The media still is powerful today. And it makes so many things in, in us, in our children, that is so normal, yet it is so divisive. It is so corrosive to our character. But we look at it and we joke about it. You know, watch late night television sometimes. Even the mainstream, you know, pornography is like, oh, it's, it's fun, it's accepted. It's okay. It is so dangerous and corrosive that the media makes you feel like it's normal, people. But as Christians, as people of faith, as people who have God's heart, we should adopt God's heart and God's perspective on how he feels about abuses and using people for commercialization of of, of things. And that's the kind of heart we need to have. And do we have that kind of heart? Do we have that kind of that anger? God does. But it's not the anger that we have. Because our anger can be sinful and be misplaced. You know, David was confronted with his sin, with Bathsheba. And this is how, this is how deceived we are sometimes. So he's, he just killed a man. He married his wife, conceived a kid out of, you know, an adulterous relationship. And when he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, this is his response. So Nathan tells him a story, and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, he says, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb uh, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because uh, he had no pity. It was really a stroke of genius what Nathan did. Instead of coming at him and just saying, you, you, right away, Nathan drew him out and, and showed them what an injustice this situation was. That this rich man took from this guy this one lamb that he had and his stall, which had plenty of lambs, the, the comparison and David, you know, in his anger, he says, listen, that man deserves to be all this. We can be so deceived sometimes, don't we? And Nathan turns to David and said, you 
or the man? You're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. You know, God confronts us in his love. You know, the opposite of love is not anger. It is not. You know what the opposite of love is? It's indifference. I I don't want anything to do with you. Why should I even bother? You know, I got my things to do. But God sends David Nathan and says, Nathan, I need you to do something for me. I need you to get into this man's heart. It's drifted pretty far. And I need you to help. And praise be to God that David changed. He was confronted, and his heart was soft enough to change. His heart was soft enough to go, I am the man. I am that person. You know, a lot of times when we hear lessons and stuff, and maybe you're wondering, you go, man, is he talking to me? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Maybe not specifically, but in general. Because we all fall into the same boat. We have hearts that can be just like David. It's not, it's not that far. We can be just as deceived, whether it's insecurity or fear or just pride. Just pride. Or just oversensitivity. My goodness, we're so sensitive. It's like, dude, the world doesn't revolve around you, you know, or your whatever. It's, it's, it's just, people are busy. I mean, it's, it's just, but our response, is it like David? And you, you, read, you read the response of David, it's pretty amazing. God does get angry. But you know, God's anger, praise God, is different than ours. For I know my transgression. So after the confrontation, he changed. He says, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. I have a secret cue with the song leaders. I told them that when the psalms comes on, they need to come on stage. Sorry, guys, this is the wrong psalm. But anyway, stick it back here. <laughs> it's fine. He says, he says listen, he says, uh, I, I've done evil. What's the evil in your sight? And I deserve to get this judgment. That's repentance. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. He says, God, I've sinned against you. Remember the, the parable of the lost son? He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. How big it is and how personal it is. He says, God, you're not like this God out in outer space in a dark hole somewhere. I've really hurt you. I've really offended you. Forgive me. He says, God, you're, you're justified. He says, you're right when you judge. When you get angry, you're right. It's not like my dad or it's not like Ken or, you know, it's like you're right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I love this scripture. It didn't say that it's the end of wisdom. It's the beginning. The fear of God, it's the beginning. Why, why is fear a motivator? It, it, it should make us afraid that at the end of our lives, we're going to give an account, the Bible says, of every thought, every action to the Creator of the universe that knows everything already what we've done. There should be some fear. And fear is a good thing. It's not the ultimate thing, but 
it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It, it motivates. Fear motivates us not to do that. Fear motivates us not to go to that place. Fear motivates us not to turn on that channel. Fear motivates us not to have those kind of thoughts. Or if we do have those kind of thoughts, you know, we talk about it, we work it out. Fear teaches us not to get together with that person or not click onto that site. The fear, it's the beginning of knowledge. It's not the end. I hope it's not the end. Love is the end. But fear is very, very useful. You touch something, it burns, you're not going to do that again. It teaches us something. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquity, sins. He is slow to anger. Jonathan Edwards, and we'll take a look at it a little bit later on, had a really strong message in 1740s, in the 1740s. And he's preached many, 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 many messages. But he's known for this one. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's not a, a bummer. So he preached all these lessons, but 200 years later, that's what you're known for. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. But he's, he's known for so much more than that. And if you stick only to that and use that as an excuse to go, I don't want to know this, God, you're missing out. It's like taking one day, one hour to know somebody and peg them already. He said, that's the way he is. And it's your loss. It's my loss. It takes time to get to know God. It takes time. He's slow to anger. He will not accuse. And in Jonathan's, uh, in, in, in a critique with Jonathan's, uh, uh, Edwards' uh, um, sermon, they said that, well, I mean, he's slow to anger. The fact that you're still around is a testament that God is slow to anger because he knows everything you've done already. In the courts today, if you do something and they convict you, off to jail, right? There is no whatever. But not God. God knows everything, every single thought, and still we're around. He's slow to anger. And so much more than that. That's the title of our lesson today. And we're going to take a quick look into the New Testament as well. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to 4. Man, this is handy. Matthew 22. This scripture, is, it's pretty strong. Matthew 22 and verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding a banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened calf, cattle have been butchered and everything is ready Come to the wedding banquet. You know, God is so gracious, right? Remember, the opposite of love is not anger. It's indifference, right? But that's not God. He sends people out. And it's so humble of God, don't you think? 
to go out to send people. He, he has this great banquet that he's prepared. And really, you know, uh, theologians, and he's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about the cross. He says, this, this bank, I'm, I'm preparing everything, and I'm, it's a special invitation to you. Please come. It's pretty humbling, right, to have a great big party and no one comes and you're begging people to come? God is pretty humble. If I was God, I'd say, forget you, man. But he begs and he pleads and he, he writes books and he, he puts the thunder out there. He, he sets your life. You make just enough money. You ever wonder about that? Just enough. How, how does he do that? He just enough. For every single person most of the times. You know, he begs us, says, please come slow to anger. In verse 5, it says, but they paid no attention. And he said, uh, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servant, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Ooh, ooh. I have a hard time with that scripture until I think about it. You know, two of the most heavily uh, uh, spiked uh, times when the U.S. military has gotten conscription and people volunteering uh, after, after Pearl Harbor, and the other one was, what, after 9-11. There was a sense of injustice, and the country rallied around those two events and go and went out and destroyed some things. I mean, basically, you know, the Americans went out, destroyed a few things. It's the same thing with God. God says, listen, I, I have begged, I have asked, I have humbled myself, I have laid it out there. And these people, number one, they're indifferent. And number two, they actually got violence towards me. They killed the servant and they mistreated him. And God says, enough is enough. This great banquet that God wanted to, uh, to invite them to. It's Oscar time, right? I want to give you a quiz. What movie is this? Well, yes, ma'am, I do. I mean, I got everything I need right here with me. I got air in my lungs, a few blank sheets of paper. I mean, I love waking up in the morning, not knowing what's going to happen or uh, uh, who I'm going to meet, where I'm going to wind up. What movie is that? Titanic. Who said that? Uh, Leo DiCaprio. Leo DiCaprio. What was the name of the movie? Uh, who, who's the character? Jack. Right? What is he saying? Check this out. He's saying, just the other night, I was sleeping under the bridge, and now here I am on the grandest ship in the world, having champagne with you fine people. Jack Dawson. That's right. And the Oscar go to you. Uh, you know, it's, 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 what is he saying? He's saying, listen, who am I? The other day I was just sleeping under the bridge, but here I am today. We can all relate to this line. Who are we that the king of the universe is going out and said, begging us over and over again, come into my banquet, come into my kingdom, and you are in my kingdom. Are you grateful? Are you happy? We can all say this. This could be our line in relations to God. In verse 8. He says, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Just find anybody. 
So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. All the people. It says, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man uh, there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his uh, tenants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going on here? So they went out and they invited everybody. Poor, rich, every class, every race, every person. Actually, the scripture actually says that they went to the, to the, to the crossroads where the busy streets are, where everybody goes through. Pull them in. Make them come in. And finally, the wedding hall was filled with people. And the king walked around and, and found a guy with no wedding clothes. And you go, that is so extreme, God. He doesn't have any wedding clothes. Why did you throw him out? It's not extreme. You see, the people at the beginning were invited and usually customary uh, in old ancient traditions that you invite people twice. Pre, you know, it's kind of like what we do, right? Like you come in, you click, you know, you, you confirm, right? In those days, they didn't have that. They didn't have evite, so they'd send out two invitations. The second time, it was just people that they found in the streets. And you can say to yourself, and rightly so, without knowing, that that is so unfair. How do you expect people from the street to come in with wedding clothes? I mean, they just found them. But here's a piece of information that we should know. By God, the, at that time, if you did not have wedding clothes, this is how generous and this is how expensive a wedding is in those days. That if you were at the door, the servants would give you some wedding clothes to go in properly to celebrate this wedding. So apparently what happened was that this guy totally disregarded God or, or the owner. Despite the fact that he's been invited to this great thing, despite the fact that, you know, it's like it's known that you've got to wear wedding clothes, it's a lack of respect. We see that today. We see so many people, so many people, right? We say we believe in God, but we know very little about God's Word. We don't, we don't, we don't treat it as something that is sacred. We don't treat it as something that, man, I, I'm holding on to every single word of this. And if I don't know what it means, I'm going to go buy a book. You know, we, when's the last time we Google a Bible passage? How many times do we Google other things? You know, to get deep into the Word, to respect God's Word. How do you become a Christian? Do we know? How do we become a Christian? It's such a lack of respect, this guy. He comes in and he just says, listen, I am, I am, I am whatever. I, you know, it's my feelings and my thoughts and my opinions. And God says, listen, get out of here, you know. Ooh. Slow to anger. But respect is not just something that God expects, right? We are built in the image of God that we desire respect as well. There was a famous song that was written in 1967. It was by Otis Redding. And maybe you don't know that song because you don't know who Otis Redding is. But you do know Aretha Franklin, right? Because she was the one that sang that song. It's called R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Respect. You know, in the book of Malachi, it says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? Where is the best that you give to so many other things? 
He says, and if I am a master, where is my fear? Where is the respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, to me? Aretha. He said, ooh. (laughs) What you want, baby, I got. And this is not my Valentine card, Stelina. All right, last week. Is it what you need? Ooh. Do you know I got it? Ooh. (laughs) All I'm asking. Ooh. I've been practicing that all night, guys. Give me a little bit more. Is a little respect when you come home. Just a little bit. (laughs) Hey, baby. Just a little bit. When you get home, just a little bit. Mister, just a little bit, you know. Aretha Franklin, this, is, this was an anthem for not only the civil rights movement in the 60s, late 60s, but it was also an anthem for the uh, women's movement as well. Just a little bit, just a little bit of respect. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards, there's so much more than that. You know, as we close on out, I want to read Psalms 103. How should we respond? Psalms, Psalms, wink, wink, Psalms, <laughs> Psalms. This is the right Psalms. Psalms 103. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As for the east is to the west, as far as he removed our transgression from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. That's it. Amen. Thank you.